you have your Bibles, and I pray that you do, if you'd take your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5 this morning in the precious Word of God, and uh, I'm excited, excited to be in the Lord's house, amen? Last week we began directing our attention towards the missionary mandate that has been given to every believer, honestly, every one of us have been given a missionary mandate, whether we like it or not, and uh, truly God's Word is uh, clear about this command that's given to Christ's followers. And last week, you might recall, I said that God has a plan. As we start directing our attention towards missions and our missions revival, I was talking to you last week, and I said that God has a plan. It's not my plan. It's not our plan. It's his plan. The responsibility, though, we talked about is incumbent upon us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And so we talked about that, and we talked about the fact that the need is huge. It's a, it's a big need but I also tried to admonish every one of us that the time to do something is now. It's not, hey, let's wait till we have a vaccine. Let's wait till 2021. Let's wait until something else happens. The time to do something is now. And so we talked about this plan. And if you recall, I started last week by reminding you that it was Jesus who gave his closest followers their marching orders, so to speak, in uh, Mark chapter 16, when he said to them, go you in all the world and preach the gospel. And I think about the other places where Jesus com communicated essentially the same message. When we think about that message, we think about in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19, when Jesus said, go you therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Listen, he was pretty clear about the plan, if you please. Before his ascension into heaven, you remember or recall that he told his disciples in Acts chapter uh, 1 in verse number 8 that they would actually be witnesses unto him both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in all Samaria. And notice he said, unto the uttermost part of the earth. Listen, that's why we want to support missionaries going to nations that don't even allow missionaries. Hold on, let me say that again. That's why we want to support missionaries that go to places where they don't even allow missionaries. Creative access. We want missionaries to get into the country so that they can tell other people about Jesus. Why would we ever want somebody to die and go to a devil's hell? And yet sometimes I think that's how we live our lives. In Luke chapter 24, it was Jesus once again who declared in Luke 24, verse 47, repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among, what does he say? All nations. And he told them, he said, listen, start right here at home, right here in Jerusalem, and then take it all around the world. And then we think about after his resurrection in John chapter 21, he proclaimed to his closest followers, remember, he reveals himself and nobody believes that he's risen from the dead. And then finally in John chapter 20 and verse 21, Jesus appears to his disciples and he basically says, Hey, listen, as my father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. He says, I'm sending you to go take the hope of the gospel into all the world. And it's the same. The message and the task to go and to tell, to go and to share the gospel is something that Jesus gave over and over. It was nothing new to his earliest followers. And folks, it should be nothing new to us today. And so this morning, I want us to continue by looking in Mark chapter 5. As we kind of ramp up and draw ourselves closer to missions, I want to ask you to be praying. God, work in my heart. We can say we're having missions revival all we want. But if we're not where we need to be on our knees, if we're not 
uh, submitting ourselves unto the Lord, drawing nigh to God so that he can draw nigh to us, it's just going to be a saying. It's just going to be a banner because certainly only God is the one who sends revival. And so I want us to continue as we look at one of the stories of one of the most dramatic miracles in Scripture. Our text is found in Mark chapter 5. And by the way, it's been said that the gospel of Mark is a gospel of action. Think about it. The gospel of Mark is a gospel of action. You may or may not know this, but there are more miracles revealed in Mark's gospel than in any other gospel account. In fact, in Mark chapter 5, there's three such miracles revealed right here before us. And I would say we could probably see a few more even in this chapter. By way of giving you a little bit of background, if you look at Mark chapter 5, we're going to see a group of people known as the Gadarenes. They lived in an area called Gadara. <laughs> and uh, so some of you are like, oh no, he's going to talk about the maniac of Gadara. Yes, I am. And so these Gadarenes, they live in this area of Gadara. And, and uh, what you need to know about these people is they're from the tribe of Gad. And give you a little bit of background, this tribe of Gad along with the tribe of Dan and half of Manasseh's tribe, when they were following Joshua, they get to the Jordan River. And, and God has a plan for them to cross the Jordan. By the way, the Jordan River is a symbol of death. And so you hear many times, uh, you'll hear old school pastors talk about crossing over Chile, Jordan. Who was a symbol or a sign of death. And so he was saying, hey, listen, death to yourselves. Go over into the land of Canaan, the land that I've prepared for you. But here's what happens. The tribe of Gad, the tribe of Dan, and half of Manasseh's tribe said, nope, we're not going. We're going to stay on this side of the river because look, Look at how beautiful this land is. I remember a story about uh, Abraham and, and Lot. You remember? They, had, they, were, they were choosing up lands. Well, Gad, Dan, and half of Manasseh's tribe, they said, we're going to stay on the east side of the river. Folks, can I tell you without going into detail, and this is not the message, but every one of those individuals that made that choice to stay on the east side of the river, they stopped short of the plans that God had for them. And you know, sometimes I think we do that in our own lives. We say, hey, I'm going to walk by faith and not by sight. And we get right to the edge of where God wants us to be. And we say, no, 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 it's better over here. Oh, listen, always walk by faith. Always trust what the Lord has for you. Look at our text beginning in Matthew or Mark chapter 5. By the way, a few weeks ago we were talking about the incident that takes place in the last seven or so verses of Mark chapter 4. You remember where Jesus, he rebukes the wind and he calms the sea. He's in the back of the boat. Remember I said he's on the back, in the back of the boat on his my pillow. And the disciples come to him and they say, hey, don't you care that we're about to die? You remember Jesus says, why are you so fearful? And he gets up and he says, peace be still to the wind. And the sea's calm. You remember that story? Well, this is right after. So Jesus tells his disciples, he says, hey, get in the boat. We're going to cross to the other side. This Mark chapter 5 is why he said we're crossing to the other side. Isn't that good news? You know, that our good shepherd, he'll go after the one. Even leaving the 99, he says, we're going to the other side. Well, why are we going to the other side? Why are we in the midst of this storm? Well, here it is in Mark chapter 5. Let's read our text together. Beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, And they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of, Gadar of the Gadarenes, and when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met of him uh, a man uh, of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit, uh, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. 
because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him, and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away. Notice that word, them, away out of the country. Now there was nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. There were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. And they that, fled, they that fed the swine uh, went and told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what, was it, uh, what it was that was done. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and that he had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind and they were afraid. And they saw it and they that saw it told them how it befell him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. And when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and had compassion on thee. And he departed, and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. And notice the Bible says, And all men did marvel. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to be in your house, to sing songs of praise and worship to you, the most high God. Lord, we ask that you would work in our hearts and our minds this morning, that you might have your will and your way. And God, uh, we certainly pray that if there's one in this room, one that is watching or worshiping with us that doesn't have a relationship with you through your son, Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they would realize their need of a savior and that they would call out upon the name of the Lord for the forgiveness of sin. Lord, I pray for those who are here who are believers, who may have taken a step backward from that missionary mandate to go and to tell. Lord, I pray that you would work on all of our hearts as we desire to be used of you, God, at this church and in this area and all around the world. Lord, I pray that you would do what only you can do, and we'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory and the honor for it all. And it's in Jesus' precious name that we do pray, and for his sake, amen and amen. Well, if you notice with me in our text, right away we see that as soon as Jesus lands on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, he's met with this condition. Look here in the first few verses. He's met with a man with a condition that's really desperate. He's hopelessly possessed. Look, honestly, if you start looking in verse 2 and following, he's a scary sight. This guy lives in the mountains. He's among the tombs. He's, he's been chained up. Think about this. The people are so fearful of this guy, he's possessed with so many demons that they have chained this man up like an animal, and yet they cannot control him. The, the chains don't hold this guy. He's running amok. He's living among the dead, if you please. No one could tame him. No one could subdue him. And if you look here, it says that he was wild. This guy's not in his right mind. I guess I wouldn't be in my right mind either if I was controlled by thousands of demons. 
And so we see what's going on. And, and in fact, if you look over in verse 15, verse 15 tells us after the fact that he's sitting upright and he's clothed, which tells me that when Jesus arrives in this land, this dude is running around naked. Things are so bad. He's probably filthy. He's running around naked. And guys, can I tell you, look at verse 5. There's nothing new under the sun, as Solomon says. This guy is destroying himself. He's cutting. He's going through the practice of cutting himself with stones. Do you know that that's something that takes place in our society over and over and over again, even today? This guy is cutting himself. There's nothing new. I'm guessing this guy probably felt like no man cared for his soul. You know, like Psalm 124 and verse 4 says, and there was no man that cared for my soul. I'm guessing this guy felt like, man, there's nobody that cares for me. I'm out here. I've been banished to the mountains. I've been banished to live among the dead. I, they've tried to chain me up. They've, tr they've forsaken me. Nobody wants to talk to me, and they get crazy when they come into contact with me. The others of the area had cast this demon-possessed maniac aside, but when Jesus arrives, he cares for the man. This man had suffered physically, mentally, and spiritually because of these thousands of demons. And notice with me, and I want you to notice verse 6. Look at verse 6 and 7 because the Bible says that the man actually worships and acknowledges Jesus as the Son of God. Let me ask a question. How does he know that this is Jesus? He's out in the midst of the mountains and the tombs. He's never seen Jesus, so how does he know? I'll tell you how he knows. It's the demons. The demons tell him he knows. See, this guy, he sees Jesus, and the demons immediately know that the Son of God is in their presence, and they go running. And so they reveal to this man that it's Jesus. And you know what? James chapter 2 and verse number 19 reminds us uh, that the devils also believe in God. They, they believe in God so much. Do you know what? Sometimes I think they, they actually do more than we do. They tremble. See, they believe and they tremble because they know that God is real. And so here in verse 6 and 7, uh, 6 and 7, he worships and acknowledges God. And in verse 7, notice it also says he cried out with a loud voice and said, What do I have to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high? Essentially, this guy, controlled by the demons, is saying, Hey, what do we have in common? Lord, what do we have in common? Because in verse number 8, he continues by begging him not to torment him. And then in verse number 9, Jesus says, hey, what's your name? And it's pretty cool because the man tries to answer. He says, my name is, but then the demons take over. See, he says, my name is, and the demons say, hold on. My name is Legion, for we are many. A uh, little fun fact for you. Do you know that a Roman legion of soldiers... Now think about this. You know that in the text it says there were 2,000 swine. A Roman legion of soldiers was typically three to 6,000 men. This demon references themselves as legion. I'm guessing that there's between three and 6,000 demons residing in this guy. What a crazy, crazy ordeal. But inevitably, Jesus did what he always does. Like he had done with lepers, like he had done with the blind and the broken, he comes and he speaks a word of power. He reveals the man's greatest need, and he actually declares his authority over demons and evil spirits when he says, come out of him, and guess what? The man's life has changed. He's cleansed and he changed. Isn't Amen? Isn't that what he did with us? 
That's exactly what he did with us. He said, whoa, 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 I'm not demon-possessed. Well, the apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2. And what he said in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, basically mirrors our condition, our spiritual condition, before Jesus came in. And notice in verses 1 and following in Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible says, And you hath he, God, quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation or our conduct in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of what? Wrath, even as others. Oh, listen, we may not have been possessed with thousands of demons, but we were under the control, so to speak, or under the influence of evil. Romans chapter 3, verse number 10 reminds us that there's none who are righteous. No, not one. You see, before Jesus came in, every one of us were very much like this maniac of Gadara, so to speak. We were living in darkness. We were living among the dead. But thank goodness, thank goodness, because I stopped in verse number 3 of Ephesians chapter 2, but thank goodness for verse 4, 5, and following. Because in verse 4, the Bible says, but God. Do you know, I love this verse, because typically when you and I say something to somebody, we'll say, hey, Brother Rick, you know, uh, that's, that's a great thought, but. We've talked about this before, even in our Sunday school class, but. And so typically when we start to, we, sometimes we give people lip service. Yeah, let me ask you, anybody here honest? Say, I give people lip service. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> Mark's the only honest person. Hey, Trevor. Tre Trevor and Mark, my honest guys. You ever give somebody lip service? You know what I mean. You say something nice when you really don't mean it. Oh, now I hear laughter going on. See, we give people lip service. We say, oh, <laughs> Oh, I, I hear this. Oh, you look so pretty today. Mm, but, right? Or, or you did a good job, but I could have done better, right? I'm so thankful for verse 4. Because every time in Scripture, do a study. Every time in Scripture where you see it saying, but God, something good is about to follow. When it says, but God, see, we were dead in our trespasses and sin. Verse 4 says, but God, who is rich in mercy. Oh, I'm so thankful for the mercy of God. Amen. It says, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath, what does it say? Quickened. He hath, that word quickened is kind of an interesting word. It means he has reanimated us. He has made us alive. He has caused us to pass from death to light. To life, rather. Darkness to light. I'll get it straight here in a second. Oh, listen. By grace we are saved. It ends out there in verse number five. Oh, yes, with God all things are possible. Amen? All things are possible. I think about what a mighty God we serve that he tells his disciples, he said, get in the boat. We're going to cross over to the other side. Why do we got to get in the boat? Just get in the boat. And then he goes to the back, the hinder part of the boat, and he lays down and he takes a little siesta to see about the faith of his disciples. And then when things get rocky, when things get rough, they come, they say, don't you care that we're about to die? And he says, oh, you of little faith. He says, listen, we got a mission. I wouldn't have told you that we're going over to the other side if we weren't going to be able to make it to the other side. 
Hello? Hey, Battlefield, I would not have told you to go into all the world and preach the gospel if you're not able to go into all the world. See, sometimes I think we're like Gad and Dan and half of Manasseh's tribe. We say, go into all the world, and we, we stop. You know where the stopping point is? Sadly, many times the stopping point for many churches is the exit. We come and we sing, oh, how I love Jesus. We think about missions. We talk about missions. We're excited about missions. We clap. When the missionaries come, we cry for them. We, we, we'll even throw a little dollar at the missionary and be a part of faith, promise, mission giving. But then when the Bible says, go ye, when it's you and me, we go, Mm-mm, not a part of my plan. You're right, because the plan is not mine, and it's not ours. It's not yours. It's God's plan. What's sad to me in the realities of the story, look down at verse number 14, because what's sad to me is the locals didn't even care about the fact that this man's life had been changed. You see, them, they come, right, and they see this man is changed. They see him sitting in his right mind. They see him clothed, and they don't even care. Notice what verse 14 says. It says, and they that fed the swine and told it in the city and in the country, and they in other words, who heard the news, actually went out to see what it was that was done. In verse 15, and they come to Jesus, and notice, they see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. By the way, that's not a biblical fear. That's not a biblical fear of awe and reverence of who God is. That's a fear of dread and a fear of hatred. You see what began to happen? As soon as they saw it, and they realized the swine were gone. They realized what, what the messengers told them was true. They start to get angry. That anger starts to stir up. Notice what takes place. In verse 16, and they that saw it told them, they went and told others, how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. Look at verse 17. And they all, they, all of them, began to pray him to depart out of their coasts. Wow. Despite the miracle, the people preferred the pigs over Jesus. They preferred the swine over Jesus. By the way, I didn't tell you this little fun fact when I was telling you about Gad, Dan, and Manasseh staying on the eastern side of the uh, Jordan River instead of going crossing over like they were supposed to. They stayed because they thought it was going to be good land, fertile for raising cattle and livestock. But now they've sunk their standards so low that they're in the big pig business. Uh, hello, Mosaic law forbade that. And yet they're, they're concerned about the pig business. And by the way, before you start feeling too sorry for the pigs, if you've had bacon for breakfast ever, don't worry about it. I can hear it now. You mean Jesus allowed the, the, the pigs to be inhabited with the demons? Have you ever had bacon? Have you ever had a pork chop? Then please don't come and holler at me about Jesus letting the demons go into the pigs. Do you remember in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned? For goat farmers? He killed the kid. He killed the skins. Took the goat and took the skins to cover their sinfulness. Listen, Jesus loves you. Hold on, let me, thank you. Jesus loves you. And he has done everything for you so that you could have a relationship with his Father in heaven. Oh, what a wonderful Savior. 
we serve. It's amazing. The people prefer the pigs more than Jesus, and immediately they want Jesus to leave. You see, their focus is on what they lost financially rather than what the man who had been demon-possessed had gained. They're like thinking, hold on, my stocks have been affected. My money has been taken away because there was profit in these pigs. We were going to feast on these pigs for years and years or whatever they were thinking. They were focused on the wrong thing. But folks, I put in my notes to be sure when you and I invest in the missionary mandate to go into all the world and preach the gospel, we're just going to celebrate the changes in lives. It's just going to be something that comes natural. Do you know that I have never heard, even when I was sitting in the pew, before I ever stood behind a pulpit, I have never heard anyone regretting their investment of prayer or finances for the work of God. I've never heard someone say, well, I wish I never prayed for those souls in Tanzania. I wish I never prayed for those people of Papua New Guinea. I wish I never gave money. I've never heard anybody say that. And yet this is what we find with the people of Gadara. They were focused on the pigs rather than the miracle. Oh, listen, when we celebrate the miracle of God's forgiveness and salvation and God's continued presence in our lives, it becomes easier for you and I to remain committed to the command to go and to tell. By the way, that command is not just for the missionaries that will be coming in for missions revival. That command is for us. You live in Manassas, you got a command. You live in Warrington, you got the command. You live in Bristow, Summer Duck, Bealton, Warrington, wherever you live, the command is good for you to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Unfortunately, in many places and churches today, the mission, yes, the mission to take Jesus to the world falters because many times people are more focused and concerned about the so-called pigs or the economics of missions rather than the extraordinary work of Christ. We can't do it, Pastor. Do you see what's happening in 2020? We, we just can't do it. We, we, we don't have the resources. I don't see anybody's pants wore out from being on their knees in prayer. And I don't see anybody in this room uh, about to pass out because they haven't eaten. What do you mean we can't do it? Oh, we have a mighty God. Oh, we can do all things through Christ which strengthens us. You see, the demon-possessed man is delivered and the desires of the people are revealed. And they wanted Jesus to leave. Before Jesus came into their area, the masses, it was like they said, all is well, business is good, things are great. We got that guy, we chain him up every once in a while. When he rears his ugly head, we go back out and we chain him up again and, and things are good. But when Jesus comes and a life is changed, their immediate cry is, leave us alone. Get out of here. You've ruined our business. By the way, I can assure you that if that's your prayer today, if that's your prayer for Jesus to leave you alone, to get out of here and let go of your business, he'll oblige you. Listen, he'll oblige you. Oh, we have to be very, very careful what we ask and what we pray for. I think about this man. Look at verse number 18. This man who had been possessed with thousands of demons, he desires something different. Look at verse 18. The Bible tells us that when he, Jesus, was coming to the ship, notice it says he that had been possessed with the devil, he prayed. That word is parakaleo. It's the same word that we find in verse number 17 where the people were actually praying that Jesus would leave. They're actually, they're actually desiring and imploring him to leave. 
The opposite is true in verse number 18. It's the same exact word when he says he prayed him that he might be with him. He's begging Jesus. He's like, hey, 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 let me go with you. I've had enough of this place. Let me leave. Let me be with you. Lord, I want to be with you. I want to be near you. I want to stay with you. And you know what Jesus said? No. How amazing is that? Jesus actually approves the people's request. Ironically, he approves the people's request to leave, but he denies this man's request to leave with Jesus. What an ironic statement. Look at verse number nine, 19. Rather. Verse number 19, the Bible says that Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and had compassion on thee. You see, Jesus knew what was best for this man's life, and he knew what was most profitable, what was the greatest benefit for building his kingdom. And so he tells this man, he says, listen, I know you want to come with me. I know you want to get in the boat. He says, but I need you to stay out of the boat. I need you to stay here. I need you to go back into this area. I need you to go back to your friends and to your family, and I need you to tell them all the great things that God has done for you. I need, to tell, I need you to tell them about the compassion that has been shown on you this day. And so he tells the man to go and to tell. I think about, I said at the beginning, you remember Jesus told his disciples that they would be witnesses unto him both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the world. Do you know that a witness can only tell what they absolutely know for certain? An honest witness. Let's just say that. An honest witness. If you ever see a witness get on the witness stand, an honest witness can only tell what they know for certain. And Jesus says, hey, you know some things for certain. You know about what God's done for you today. You know about the compassion that God has shown on you. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go, and I want you to tell everyone that you know. And the extraordinary thing from Scripture is this is exactly what the man does. You see, I think about the compassion of our Lord and Savior. Uh, he sends this man right back to the same people who sent him away. How compassionate is Jesus? They say, get out of here, get out of here, get out of here. The guy says, can I go with you? I want to get out of here. Maybe the guy's fearing what the people would do once Jesus left because he's now the cause of their business being wrecked. And so he says, can I go with you? And think about it. In that instant, the compassion of Jesus says, no, you're going to stay here, and I want you to go spread the news of what's taking place here today. Oh, what a compassionate Savior. Jesus, the one who spoke the demons out of this man's body, now commands him to go and to tell. He doesn't abandon the man, but he actually empowers the man. Notice the man's response in verse number 20. The Bible says, and he departed in, in obedience. He departs and began to publish. He, and that word publish means that he begins to herald and proclaim this news in Decapolis. And so what you need to know about Decapolis is that it's just not one location. It's a 10-citied area. And so this guy just doesn't go home and tell his friends. He goes throughout the whole region, and he starts telling what's taking place. Notice how great things Jesus had done for him. And notice the Bible says, all men did marvel. As someone who had been freed from the chains of darkness, this man went everywhere sharing, sharing, sharing what God had done for him. I think about how the Lord used his story to impact others. You see... If you're a believer here, when you come to faith in Christ, 
God puts a new song in your heart and in your mouth. There's a new song. There's a new melody in your heart and in your mouth. I think about in Psalm 40, after talking about how God had brought him up out of the horrible pit and out of the miry clay and had set his feet upon a rock and established his going, it was David who said in Psalm 40, in verse number 3, he said these words. He said that God had put a new song in his mouth, even praise unto our God. And notice what David said. He said, many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Oh, my friends, that song. That song that God puts deep down in the heart of every believer, it's a very personal song. It's a personal song. You may recall, you think about what David said in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. It's a very personal song. Because when I think about it, it's the Lord that makes us to lie down in green pastures. It's Him that leads us by the still waters. It's God who restores our soul. It's our personal shepherd who leads us in the paths of righteousness for His namesake. On and on. It's a personal song. He's the one who prepares the table in the presence of our enemies. He's the one who anoints our head with oil. He's the one that allows our cup to run over and over and over. Oh, listen, the song is a very personal song. And when the Lord is your shepherd, when the Lord is our shepherd, there's no need for you and I to want for anything. Oh, he'll take care of it all. When the Lord is your shepherd, there's no need to want for anything. He'll take care of it all. Thank you. We need to remember that our song is not only personal, it's a powerful song. Ephesians 2 reminds us about the beginning of our song. We were dead in trespasses and sin. But the beautiful part comes when God quickens us and makes us alive, takes us from darkness to light. Oh, listen, it's Christ who raised us up and made us to sit in heavenly places. You know, it's amazing to me that people can argue all they want. And do you, yeah, You've probably heard this. People will argue with you. They will argue with you about Scripture. They will argue with you about versions of Scripture. They will argue with you about the literal interpretation of Scripture. They will argue with you about prophecy. They will argue with you about on and on and on. But the one thing people cannot argue with is a personal and powerful testimony of, of Jesus Christ coming inside of your heart. Oh, listen, the only way people can and will dispute that song that you try to sing is if your life is not consistent with the Savior you say you know. If you say you know Jesus, but you're living like you don't need know Jesus, then guess what? I'm, I'm just going to tell you, people are not going to uh, uh, come to church. If you invite them to church, they're going to be like, why would I go to church? Why, why, would, why would I go there? Because you say one thing, but you live differently. See, it's so very, very important how we walk with the Lord. As I wrap this up, I think how interesting it is that Jesus in Mark chapter 5, he leaves this area. And the next time we see Jesus coming back into the area is in Mark chapter 7. Look at Mark chapter 7. I want you to see it. The next time we see him coming back into this area is Mark chapter 7. And I want you to see what takes place. Look in verse 31. Drop down to verse 31. The Bible says, And again, departing from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, he came unto the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coasts of Decapolis, the 10-city region where this guy has been spreading the news. Watch what takes place. And they bring unto him one that was deaf 
and had an impediment in his speech. And they beseech him to put his hand upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers into his ears. And he spit and touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and saith unto him, Ephathah, that is, be opened. And straightway his ears were opened and the string of his tongue was loosed and he spake plain. Look at verse 36. And he charged them, all the people that are gathered around, he charged them that they should tell no man. Watch. The people who wanted him gone in Mark chapter 5, watch what takes place now. It says, and he charged them that they should tell no man. But the more he charged them, so much the more a great deal they published it. Oh, there's a change that has taken place in the region of Decapolis. Look, it goes on in verse 37. And we're beyond measure astonished, saying, He hath done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. And if we were to go over to Matthew's gospel in Matthew chapter 15, in Matthew 15 and verse 31, the Bible records this. It says, Insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, the, man, uh, the maimed to behold, the lame to walk, and the blind to see. And notice what they did. And they glorified the God of Israel. What changed? The people who were mad about the pigs, the people who were focused on the finances of what had taken place in their lives are now glorifying the God of Israel. They're now wondering at all the things that are taking place. And if you and I were to go back to Mark chapter 8 and continue reading the passage, what you see is that Jesus does what he always does. You see, the people are gathered around, and you know what Jesus does? He feeds them. The multitudes are gathered around. That's a passage where Jesus actually, the people don't want to leave. And so what does Jesus do? He feeds them. He feeds them. Oh, what makes the difference? Well, what made the difference was this demon, this once demon-possessed man is now obedient to the call of Jesus. And he goes and he tells everyone, everywhere, what had taken place in his life. You know, someone has said that we are to fish where the fish are and to labor where the harvest is. Do you know as I look out here in this room today and I understand we still have people who are concerned about COVID and, and are not here in person, uh, but do you know this? not only this sanctuary is not full, but sanctuaries all around the world are not full today. The statement says that we're to fish where the fish are and to labor where the harvest is. Last week I closed by sharing with you in John chapter 4 and verse 35 that Jesus had told his disciples to lift up their eyes and to look onto the fields for they are white unto harvest. Oh my friends, the fields are all around us. Northern Virginia, the fields are all around us. There's plenty of people to go around. I hear people, well, they just planted another church in Warrington. Well, good, praise the Lord. Someone called me and said, well, this church is planting another church. I don't care. Just tell people about Jesus. Do we think we've reached everybody in northern Virginia with the gospel of Jesus Christ? No, I don't think so. Thank you. Thank you, honey. My wife answered. Let's not assume. Let's not assume that everyone knows the gospel. Let's not assume that everybody understands that God loves them, that he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Let's not assume these things. In Psalm 107, 
Verse number two, and I promised my wife last night that I wouldn't sing that song. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If you've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, it is your duty, it is your missionary mandate just as much as it is my mandate to say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Well, God will take care of it. He wants to use you to take care of it. Go and tell people about the good news of the gospel. Tell people that God loves them. Honestly, I put in my notes, and it was funny, Andy was in his prayer. Andy was saying uh, about how we mess up. People are messed up. Sometimes we just deal with messed up people, don't we? That includes us. Before you get your halo on too tight and you think, yeah, pastor said other people are messed up. That includes me and you. People are messed up. Just like us and just like this man who was possessed with thousands of demons in this passage. It takes the power of God to set people free. It takes the word of God and the Holy Spirit of God to set people free. That's how people come to faith in Christ. And there's a tendency. If we're not careful, here's the tendency. We want to be just like that man, right? We want to get, we want to get in the boat. Hey, Jesus, can I come with you? I've learned all I need to learn. I know everything I need to know. I, 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 I want to come with you. Let me get in the boat and ride around with you because it looks pretty cool. Those guys that are following you, man, I want to be just like them. Jesus says, oh, you want to be like them? Then go and tell your friends. You want to be like them? Go and tell your friends all the great things that God has done for you. Go and tell your friends about God's compassion on you on this day. Oh, listen. It's fun to ride around in the boat with Jesus. But you know what, ultimately, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but ultimately, we're called to serve Jesus by sharing Jesus with others. It's not just about getting in the boat and hanging out with Jesus. It's about serving him by sharing him with other people. I put in my notes, has the Lord been good to you? Has he? Has the Lord blessed you? Has the Lord healed you? Has the Lord delivered you? Then the message that Jesus gave to the maniac of Gadara is the same message that he's given to you and to me today. And that is to go and to tell. And the result, or as I even mentioned it last week, that I didn't really understand the statement. The proof is in the pudding. <laughs> I said that last week. I'm still not sure I understand it unless you're hiding some gummy bears down in the pudding. The proof is in the pudding, folks, because in verse number 20, in verse number 20, the result of this man doing exactly what Jesus told him to do was that all men marveled. They weren't marveling at the maniac of Gadara. They were marveling at the power of Jesus Christ, that Jesus could look at this man, the man that used to be chained up, that Jesus could say, come out from him, and that this man's life would be changed. That's what they were marveling about. They were like, this must be God. Because no man does it. And yeah, all the rumors circled about. They said, oh, this guy's doing works through the devil. Oh, but that was proven not to be so too, wasn't it? Oh, my friends, do you know Jesus? If not, I beg you to be saved today. Trust him today. He loves you. He loves you so much. 
that he gave his life for you. He wants you to have a relationship with him. He wants you to know him. He wants to fellowship with you. He wants to give you his Holy Spirit to lead you and to guide you and to direct your life. If you've never trusted Christ, trust him today. It's as simple as calling out on the name of the Lord for the forgiveness of sin. You don't need me to do it. You just simply say, God, I realize I'm a sinner. I trust that you are who you say you are. I need you to come into my life and change me. And you can do that right where you are, whether it's behind a computer screen or a TV screen at home or right here in this room. If you don't know Jesus, please trust him today. But if you're here and you say, hey, I'm a believer, I know Jesus, then I'm going to beg you and I'm going to ask you and I'm going to implore you and, and if I could pay you, I'd pay you. I'd say, listen, just go and tell. Just go and tell. Tell other people about the great things that God has done for you. Not for your wife, not for your kids, not for your grandpa or your grandma. Go tell people about what Jesus did for you because your song, that new song that God has put in your heart and in your mouth, oh, it's a beautifully personal song. And it's a powerful song that God wants to use to bring others unto himself. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you for the time that we've had in your word. And God, certainly the opportunity is open now for people to trust Christ as their Savior. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody in this room, somebody watching that has never trusted the Lord, has never forsaken their sinfulness, never asked the Lord to forgive them of their sin, God, that today would be the day that we'd stop playing church, that we would get real, that we would get serious about our need. That just like the maniac of Gadara before Christ, we were dead in our trespasses and sin. But because of your love, because of your great mercy, God, that we can have forgiveness in our life. Lord, I pray for others who know Christ as their Savior. They understand. They know the missionary mandate. Some people may have been sitting in this church and sitting in other churches for years and years and years and have still yet to go and tell. Still yet to tell their family that they're born again. Still yet to tell their friends what Jesus has done. So God, as we draw closer to our missions revival, God, help us all to be willing, to be ready, to go out and to share the truth and the love of Jesus with others. God, that you might work, that you might use our personal and our powerful story, that song that you've placed in our heart to draw men and women and boys and girls unto yourself. God, I pray that you would be with our missionaries who have given their lives to go to the uttermost part of the world. I pray that you'd sustain them, that you'd strengthen them, and that you'd continue to use them, that you'd give them fruit for their labor as they live for you. Lord, I pray that this message has been an encouragement, God. God, that we just don't take it as some other little story, but that as we take it as an opportunity that we can use in our life to go away from this place in such a manner that you would receive glory beyond what we've ever seen. Lord, I pray that you have your will in your way as we open up the altar, God. Certainly, the altar is open for people who are looking for a church. The altar is open for people who need to make professions of faith, people who want to come and offer themselves to be baptized. The altar is open for people just to come and to praise your name. 
or to seek your face in some way. Lord, it is a place of help as we come to the throne of your grace. It is a place where we can find help in our time of need. Lord, I pray that you will work as only you can in our lives in the coming days. And we'll give you the praise for it all. In the precious name of Jesus and for his sake, all of God's people said amen and amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.